welcome back to Behind Our Door. Hi, Julie. Hi, Nancy. Good to see you. You too. So such an interesting piece of news that has just come out that meditation in certain instances is just as effective as medication for anxiety, disorder, depression, to a certain degree. They're just, you know, coming out with these. And, of course, they talk about how Medication has its side effects, but meditation is time-consuming. But it's interesting. It's something to look into. Have you ever meditated? Yes, yes. I uh, did yoga. I think we talked about that on one of our minis, mini uh-huh. podcasts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm a true believer in meditation. It slows down. This is from what I read. I mean, obviously, I think our family knows we're not clinicians. Mm-hmm. So uh, it slows down your nervous system. And it, it really genuinely has helped me in my life and not only my personal life, but my professional life to just bring back and focus. There's, there's a lot to it. The yoga, the breathing, the meditation, mindfulness as they call it. It it really genuinely works. So yeah, I'm trying it. This is, this is, you know, going to be a goal. I really, I'm the meditator that sits at a free seminar that thinks about, Everything I have to do that day when they're saying, close your eyes and breathe and think, after this, I need to go to the grocery store. <laughs> so what... I just have to change yes. and I have to put time into yes. it. And I'm really going to try. I'm, okay. I'm really, we're, I'm we're going to need try. A report. We'll come back to this. We're going to need a report right. back. Right. So Julie and I have been wanting to do an episode on equine assisted therapy for quite some time. Months ago, we had a guest, if uh, you remember, Kayla Bergeron, a survivor of 9-11, who spoke about how equine-assisted therapy helped her with her PTSD, and it was such a riveting description. Um, We just thought we have got to find someone to talk about this. So after searching of, I'd say, over time, months of calls and connecting, we found the perfect guest To go, uh, to go over this this incredible therapy, Nina Ekholm Fry. She is the director of equine programs at the Institute for Human Animal Connection at the University of Denver. Her work focuses on human horse interactions and on equine behavior and welfare. For the past 15 years, Nina has focused on horses and human services in the United States and Europe specializing in inclusion of equine interactions in psychotherapy. Please look at our Behind Our Door Facebook page for her bio, uh, more details on this fascinating individual and this beyond interesting field. We're so thrilled and honored to have you join us, Nina. Welcome, welcome, Nina welcome. Fry. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. How did you ever get interested in this? How did you start out in this field? What what brought you to this? Well, I am a psychologist trained in Europe. I've been in the States for about 12 years now. And as a kid, I was very science-minded and oh. interested in, you know, human minds, but also, fortunately, in other animal minds, and especially in other mammals. And from a young age, could learn that we're not that different. So when people ask me what I do, I think about mental health in in mammals, in horses, in humans, cats, and dogs. Uh, but that's really how I how I got started. Um, sort of as a kid, being also interested in what other animals think and how they feel. And I grew up in a village in Western Finland, 
together with a bunch of different wow. animals, including horses. And later went to you know university and got some qualifications and things like that. But that interest in human-animal interaction and especially human-horse interactions has remained throughout my career. Yeah, so cool. Wow, that's so impressive. I was half expecting you to have a horse um, on the Zoom call. <laughs> They are, five of them, I'm in my home office right now, and five of them are on the other side of the house here, oh. out, out of Denver. So, I mean, it could be arranged. You know? So have you been riding for your whole life? Are you, uh, I mean, riding and, and uh, that interest specifically just for the, the sport of it too? Yeah, I mean, I grew up again in a village. We had our, what you'd call a boarding stable. So we had our horses, other people's horses um, at at my grandparents' farm uh, in the village. So I grew up around different kinds of horses, doing different kinds of things from riding and driving and, and doing things on the ground with them. I ended up competing as a junior rider in, in show jumping and dressage. Just you basically jump over stuff and or ride around <laughs> and do different movements. I've also done things like eventing and even playing horse polo. Um, but the the older I got, the more interested I became more in the experience of horses, not just, you know, what what can we do sort of in terms of my interests, which at that time was competing and going fast and and things like that. So um I really am uh, not so interested anymore in, in that way of interacting with horses and more interested in their experience in our communities, their behaviors, their welfare, sort of their quite vulnerable position even uh, under the conditions of a human society. So, but yeah, so I've been around horses all my life. I'm also a trained farrier, uh, so I do can do their feet. <laughs> and, oh, wow. Yeah. And I do something called behavioral consulting, which you could call sort of like human psychotherapy, but for horses where people um, have something that they are struggling with, with their horse, typically an undesired behavior, like the horse is afraid of the horse trailer or the horse is acting aggressively around food or around the veterinarian. These are, are instances that a behavioral consultant can help both the, the owner or the horse's person, human person, and the horse sort of find solutions that are science-based and, and are not based on dominance or sort of more forceful approaches, more based on the psychology of the horse, in fact. Yes. Yeah, so no wonder you have this um, connection. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you studied the mind of a horse and other animals so much that um, to attach that to psychotherapy is just seems like a natural course for you. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Julie, but I, I, I think I heard about equine assisted therapy, which you corrected me when we were back and forth emailing. I thought it was just equine therapy, but equine assisted therapy. Am I right? That's how you, that's the terminology. Yes, equine assisted that's, therapy. That's one of the terms that, that people use. We, we try not to use horse therapy or equine therapy it sounds like it's therapy for the horse like laser therapy or you know mm -hmm. other things that a veterinarian would do oh but i see I, but i would even encourage that even if it's common parlance to say equine assisted or horse assisted that it's even better to be clear about what might be happening because there's a lot of human services that incorporate 
aspects of interactions with horses, either again in like human healthcare, licensed providers who provide, you know, insurance reimbursable services. Then wow. there's also, mm. yeah. And there's also people in other areas like learning or education um, who also incorporate or include horses, the interaction with them in the, per, you know, kind of pursuit of goals associated for their clients or participants in their services. So I even encourage um, being really clear, what are we talking about and how are horses incorporated? And I'm happy to give a bit of an overview even of all these different ways that horses can appear in human services. And people tend to use just sort of general terms, but there's a lot of fun nuance to that as well. well yeah. And I was going to ask, I mean, I, I heard about this, I'd say within the past eight years at the mm -hmm. most, I didn't mm -hmm. even know this existed. Did you? Um, so I knew it existed. And the issue was, I always thought it was for um, autism. Mm -hmm. I associate it with autism. And excuse me for my ignorance, but I grew up in a city. So there's, there's no horses walking down the street here. But um, and then I really learned more about it, because my son ended up at a residential facility. And they were practicing it with him in California. Oh. And that was my first real introduction on on the animals and how I guess I just I, I really lived in a bubble. I had no idea this was out there. So so how long ago was this put together as a possibility and then became a certified, you know, real, real type of psychotherapy? When did this sort of evolve? Yeah. So when we think about human horse interactions, either in psychotherapy, which is, you know, a specific interest, but but also in other human services and generally just in human health, even the ancient Greeks mentioned things like horseback riding in the kind of medicine that they practiced at that time. And for, you know, millennia, um, People mostly thought about the movement that horses produce in a person's body, even when you're just leash or riding or sporting um, and, and the kind of the inputs of those four legs and those three dimensional sort of movements on the human body. Um, this is, of course, irrespective of of what's happening. If you have a horse who moves in a, in a fluent way, then you get fluent movement in your body. Whether, whether that's just for leisure or whether it's part of actual medical treatment. And, you know, when we're talking, of course, about anything mental health specific, you know, specific to this podcast's goal, we know that even the way we thought about mental health throughout the last centuries has changed so much. Yes, so, absolutely. So think about horse interactions also in the context of that. And we only start talking about psychotherapy in the past hundred plus years. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Describe this moving the horse, the movement of the horse, and someone feeling that movement. Do you is is equine assisted therapy both a person on a horse riding and also on the ground with the connection of a horse not on, sitting on a horse? Both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, walk yeah. us through it a little bit. Yeah, just to just to give the background of what what the definition of equine assisted therapy is in that sense. Yeah, and Nancy, you're asking just the best questions because <laughs> because 
when you're saying equine assisted therapy, what's the definition? Well, the truth is there's not an actual definition of that term because what it says is it says the word therapy. Okay. Therapy, we know it could be a number of healthcare services that are called therapy, physical therapy, speech language therapy, psychotherapy. So we don't know from that term, equine assisted therapy, what we might be talking about. And you know, horse is part of the of the of the equation there, but how? So an easy way that I tend to map things out when I describe this in the United States um, is that there's two broad areas plus a bonus area, which I'll talk about as well, which is not a human service, but sort of belongs to our conversation. And as I describe this, I want folks listening to also think that when we're talking about human services, it's not that the horse is the common denominator. It's that the human service provider, whether they're a medical doctor, whether they're a psychotherapist, they determine, you know, what the service is, because the horse can't do psychotherapy or any other <laughs> medical service. I was so, thinking you were about to tell me the horse could. I mean, I'm so and, fascinated. I thought all I keep thinking of is Mr. Ed. I shouldn't have said that, but still. Sorry. Um, but I am amazed by Bad you know, reference. Anyway, go ahead. So sorry. Yeah, yes, so in in, mental, in in let's take healthcare first, you know, and the most common professions that incorporate horses in healthcare. We're talking again, typically masters or doctoral leveled licensed providers who work with, you know, health insurance and other healthcare systems. Um, we have, of course, like those who provide psychotherapy in the U.S. Mm-hmm. These folks incorporate or include interactions with horses as a treatment technique. So the horse themselves isn't a therapy. It's not something that's different that you do sort of to the side and then you get your regular psychotherapy. Instead, this is psychotherapy that then typically takes place in an outdoor environment and includes those elements that arise from from having a horse there, uh, which are relational, experiential, and even somatic or body-related elements. A person could be on top of the horse or on the ground, but we don't talk about riding in psychotherapy because riding is a sport or leisure. Right, right. that's what I was wondering. Yes, yes. But the interaction, that's what a mental health professional thinks about. Because folks like me, we don't primarily use movement to treat somebody. That tends to be more in the realms of physical therapy or occupational therapy. So in mental health, we talk about incorporating or including horses. But I wanted to just mention, since we talked about the history of human-horse interactions in health and people noticing, ooh, digestion and balance, these are things that could be improved in the 1500s and on. I mean, there's a long history of of noticing things. And in current day in the U.S., physical therapists, occupational therapists, and speech language pathologists, they primarily incorporate equine movement, but not just any movement like, you know, ride a pony in the backyard movement, but medically kind of graded or adjusted movement to their professional standards to produce what's called neuromotor inputs into the human body in three planes, three-dimensional planes, 
Uh, and they use that as a treatment tool. Not the horse is not a tool, but the movement that's produced is one of those tools that a physical therapist or occupational therapist or speech language pathologist can then utilize as part of the treatment that they provide. So this is actually not sort of this flowery area and kind of, oh, it could be so cool if the horse could do therapy. But this is actually, you know, regular medical stuff. Mm -hmm. Like a tool. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of what diagnose mental illnesses is if if this is even if there's even an answer to this, what are some mental illnesses that are treated best by equine therapy? I mean, who do you have people coming with depression or bipolar disorder, schizophrenia? What do you, what do you see? And I mean, we're asking like, who would come to, right. to, who would be looking for this kind of therapy? And it's so the easiest way to think about this is when you receive therapy services, you know, like psychotherapy or mental health counseling that incorporates or includes horses your treatment environment shifts from um, the office that I'm sitting in here to an outdoor and nature space. And there's much more possibility, of course, to move around, to not be static and just sit and look into each other's eyes. Um, and that's really sort of the, the starting point here. It's not that horses themselves would have some sort of extraterrestrial capacity, which a lot of folks sort of want to believe, but you know, this is true too for dogs and cats. We have remarkable bonds with the animals in our lives. And a lot of it is sort of our perception of that bond yeah, right. mm-hmm. <laughs> versus, you know, a horse really sort of perceiving, oh, I'm part of psychotherapy because if horses did, they would probably advocate for more hay and better. <laughs> we, can't have it, we can't have it both ways. But therapy that incorporates horses is, again, the horse interaction is a technique. The therapist still uses treatments like, let's say, for trauma, like EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. This is a, a trauma-specific approach that uh, somebody might use in the case of PTSD or or there are other you know, treatment approaches or modalities that therapists use. They should still use those. It's just that the therapy now takes place in this other flexible outdoor environment with these extra elements of more relationship, perhaps a feeling of more connection and engagement, um, not being static, sitting down. We're not sort of made to sit so much. And uh, we're actually made to be out about in nature with other animals. So the skilled therapist who is trained in including horses, then make use of those interactions in a way that supports their treatment approach for the client and those clients' goals. And if there was somebody specifically indicated or meaning that, hey, this could work you know, particularly well with somebody, it could be somebody who's perhaps more inclined to want to move around a little bit or be outside or for whom sitting down in an office for psychotherapy sounds like torture instead of the healthcare service that, that, that it is, or somebody who just, you know, their spirit gets full (laughs) from also connecting with others, not just humans. So from children to older folks, 
Um, there are opportunities for therapists to incorporate horse interactions, regardless of the diagnoses or how they typically work. Yeah, how do the how do the horses react to different people? Do they do they feel? Do you feel that they sense their different mood changes and they react to that? How does that how does that work? Yeah, so horses are sort of like us group living social mammals. Mm. We do quite well, um, and horses particularly do quite well when they're around others. And when an animal, like a mammal, is a social animal, they have a lot of sort of perceptions and attunements to how the others are doing because you're there in a group, and it's really beneficial to know what's what's happening of course horses are grass eaters and they'd rather you know run away than than stay and fight but if something were to happen but both cases can be true especially for horses who are reared in domestic settings meaning they're born you know in a in a barn with humans around mm -hmm. and they don't think of humans as some sort of predator who's going to eat them necessarily they've been around humans all their lives but just like we are, depending on their histories, their experiences, their temperaments, the nuances of their personalities, they might perceive, especially us humans who decide what they do when we are around most of the time, they might perceive us differently. And some horses may be very sensitive. I have one of these in my own herd here at home, who's very sensitive to sort of mood shifts or you know different mm -hmm. shifts in our energy or tension in our body he he will let people know that they're moving their arms too much or breathing so, too loudly but some so, adults are not are these horses or i'm assuming they have to be trained like therapy dogs go through some sort of training same thing these have to be you can't just take someone oh i think they could really benefit from equine therapy take them out to a stable these these are specially trained yes when yes. we're talking about health yes and when we're talking about healthcare which we've been focusing on there's some non-healthcare areas where people also interact with horses in human services if we have time we can chat a little bit about that but when it comes to you know therapy and healthcare professionals you can't just do stuff. You have you have professional responsibilities both to your patients and clients, but of course to the animals that you incorporate. You have to act professionally in in every you know everything you do, and that includes preparing any animal, assessing for suitability, and then preparing them for their work role. So, what and does that look like? How do you how do you even, I mean, not to go into the details of training yeah. a horse, but but how do you, 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 I'm assuming you choose horses with a good disposition. I mean, some yeah. might not be even, you can't even think about it. Um, <clears throat> but is it, a, I mean, is it a long process to train these animals or how do you, yeah. I can't even imagine what the first step would be in training some, training an animal for this kind of thing. Yeah, if you imagine, you know, imagine a therapy session, imagine that you're in psychotherapy or a young person is in, in psychotherapy um, and you think about what's called a therapeutic environment, that environment that we work in, that you, you sort of feel part of when you're receiving psychotherapy and the horses that are part of that environment must also sort of fit in, the, in that environment, meaning everybody's comfort 
must be on the higher side. Like you should be comfortable being there. Of course, human clients can do uncomfortable things sometimes in therapy. It's not always fun, but it's useful for our, for our mental health. But comfort should be high and the horses should be comfortable and not be under duress and not be anxious or stressed or worried. And risk should be fairly low. And I'm talking about emotional risk. I'm talking about physical risk. And I'm talking about everyone. Because the horse isn't just there as an object, because that would be kind of antithetical to psychotherapy, where we sort of value the dignity of the individual. So when the way we think about the animal who's there, whether they're a dog or in this case, a horse, that those principles must be in play. If horses have a lot of stress and trauma around how people have treated them, or if they're not even getting their basic needs met, they have to stand in a little space all day and they don't get food all the time, that would be, again, against the sort of therapeutic environment and the principle of being part of healing work of psychotherapy. So that's kind of high level, right? Looking for horses who already have a disposition to be interested in and comfortable around humans. And then of course the horse preparing them that we might be walking around, we might be standing around, somebody might be on your back or not, depending on what the therapist decides and what the client feels is also valuable for their therapy journey. And and how does one find this? Do I, is it specific? Can you be referred by a, another therapist? You know, how, how do we find it? Yeah, a lot of therapists, as we've been talking about this term equine, mm-hmm. which is not a word for horse, uh, and equine assisted, a lot of therapists who have training in this therapy technique, again, it shouldn't be seen as a separate therapy. You should be getting psychotherapy for your depression or for your trauma or whatever you're seeking care for. And the therapist is trained in incorporating horses into that process as a treatment technique. They typically use the word equine um, in their you know, descriptions on psychology today or wherever you're, you're finding mm-hmm. you know, the therapist. And that way you can see, ah, okay, they're indicating this word. Uh, and that means that they should also say, I have specific training and in this way, or if you're somebody seeking therapy, you can ask them, how does it look when you include horses in your work? What kind and of you training? Said, I'm sorry. And you said some of this is covered by insurance. I mean, there are times like this is covered like any other kind of therapy. Yeah, because remember, it's not a therapy. And that's what kind of is the is the is the deal here. <laughs> and that's true for also having dogs, for instance, part of an office therapy session. Typically, we're inside with dogs. But if you're getting psychotherapy and your therapist is using evidence-based uh, treatment mm-hmm. like CBT or EMDR, prolonged exposure, I'm just rattling off right. stuff that is specific to, to different uh different um, kind of treatment goals, and they incorporate an animal into that process to make the therapy process more accessible, perhaps more effective for that person, then therapy techniques are not determined by insurance companies. Only the therapy approaches that you use, cognitive behavioral, psychodynamic, et cetera. So a person who says, I only do horse therapy, the horse is the therapist, 
that to me seems like there's maybe a professional competency issue at play, mm-hmm. you know, versus yeah. I'm a therapist. I do psychotherapy. Uh, I see you're struggling with anxiety. Let's try some CBT or some other, you know, again, I'm just using these, these kind of professional right. terms here. Um, and I also work in an outdoor environment with horses, or I have my dog Rufus with me, who's a therapy dog. That is absolutely not, you know, a warning to an insurance company. They want people to use evidence-based treatments and people should. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. It's nice to know that at least insurance is covering it if it's incorporated mm-hmm. into the therapy. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I were seeking this and I walk into um, the therapist office, are you just going to take me out to see the horses right away? Or, I mean, you know, yeah. I'm I'm trying to to dumb it down for myself. I'm I'm picturing how this works. Like, okay, I've called this place up. Are we meeting at a barn? Are we meeting in you know in some urban area? Or are you going to have it in the office? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and the main thing is really when you found somebody who says that they do therapy and the, the word horse is somewhere in, mm-hmm. in you know number one is to determine is this person a psychotherapist? Do they have a master's level? Do they have a doctoral level degree? Do Mm -hmm. they have a license to practice? That's the kind of the first step because there's a lot of people who are sort of using these loose terms, horse therapy or something like that. They're thinking the horse is actually what makes it the therapy, but that's not how we think about mental Mm -hmm. health and and healthcare. So, and it can be a little misleading sometimes. And unfortunately, it falls on you as the client or consumer to sort of look like, hmm, this person says they do animal therapy, but hey, they don't seem to be a therapist at all. And that's not something my insurance. Yeah, this is such such important information. I mean, it's really an interesting, but so important way to distinguish yeah. what you're what you're gonna experience the you know the professional side of this and not yeah and people can seek all kinds of services and we know that for wellness you know you can't have psychotherapy every hour of the day that that you know if you have mental health concerns maybe joining a support group that's just full of peers or doing something else that's not labeled treatment or healthcare can also be helpful in conjunction with you know healthcare services so that's where things can get really confusing especially in the area of human horse interactions so starting there as a consumer as the person seeking something who's this person are there a licensed therapist because the words horse therapy or equine assisted or or all these terms that you'll find if you start putting horse and therapy next to each other, they can also lead you to something called therapeutic riding. And that sounds to me like, hey, this is some sort of therapy thing, you know, mm-hmm. sounds like they're, you know, therapeutic riding sounds like it's a therapy. In, instead, another term for that is adaptive riding, and it is a riding lesson. It is a recreational riding lesson that is adapted to your visible or invisible disability. It's so, so this is for mental health as well. This riding therapy is adaptive used for, riding. Adaptive riding is used for mental health not, services. Not for mental health treatment because it is a riding lesson. 
And people can have all kinds of positive experiences doing writing lessons at the trainer on the corner, or if you have disabilities, such as differences in communication, neurotype, mm-hmm. um, maybe you have a leg amputated, or you, there's something going on with you that you think, hey, it could be a barrier for me to just have a fun recreational riding lesson. And people tend to love riding lessons. Mm -hmm. Then you go to, and here's the confusing part, adaptive riding. Some people call it therapeutic riding, but it has nothing to do with healthcare or treatment. And that's where I'm saying like- Okay, mm -hmm, I I totally get it now. Mm And and these terms, you might have even heard about them, you know, out and about, especially if you've been thinking about horses and humans and you're like, okay, therapeutic riding, that sounds like therapy, that sounds like riding, uh, but it's important to see who's providing the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely would have thought that 100%. Yeah, me too. That's a very important point to distinguish from yes. the other so, so yeah, so if you are back to back to um, the earlier point, if you are a person who's now determined, hey, I am starting with a new therapist, they are in fact a licensed therapist, and they're going to do psychotherapy with me. Uh, something to look for, of course, is your service agreement, those those pesky long forms that sort of explain in detail what's going to happen here when I receive psychotherapy. And that that service agreement for psychotherapy then will include likely something like, I also provide services outdoors, or together we'll decide if interacting with animals, with horses, is going to be right for you in psychotherapy. And you're going to have that conversation in your consultation call before therapy Mm -hmm. starts. Or if that therapist has two locations that they treat at, one's in a city in the office building and one in a kind of farm location, you know, you might meet maybe in the city first, or you can just meet them at that farm location either way. It's still psychotherapy. You're not going to be, you know, sort of shoveling horse shit in the first five minutes of your therapy session. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna be sitting down. And That's what I was asking. <laughs> if you request it, I'm sure it's very, it's actually very calming to do these sort of caretaking tasks. But, mm-hmm. but that's that's you know me translating again something like you know brushing a horse. A yeah, I was wondering that the grooming and the yeah might think of it as care caregiving. That that is also used. Yes. What if it's even possible to answer this? Um, and in this short of time, what kind? What do you, what do you see as far as the benefits? Somebody comes in that is struggling with um, acute anxiety or perhaps just bipolar disorder that is really hard to control, and and a therapist thinks that this would be um, a help. What what kind of results do you see from this kind of therapy? Yeah. So remember that it's a therapy technique. So the therapist Mm -hmm. is employing um, other approaches to strategies in the treatment. Let's say bipolar, you know, we might have some medication management Mm -hmm. going on and we might have certain kinds of psychotherapies that are more effective. But when we then sort of bring in the outdoor environment and the horse interaction to that, the therapist is looking for ways to regulate in that case, you mm-hmm. know, 
have a sense of I can actually guide my own mind with some support here, or I can seek out ways um, to to balance, you know, my my thoughts, my emotions, and we together with other animals, we might actually be able to practice some of that, which we do in therapy too. We might role play mm-hmm. with each other, but it becomes more tangible and more real when we incorporate things like movement or touch into our experiential thought potential in those therapy sessions that aren't just to sit down. Mm-hmm. We know as humans that that we learn a lot by doing, not just by talking. Um, and by and of course you can do experiential things inside a therapy office building, but being outdoors opens up all these sort of almost multiple and holistic ways to connect during mm-hmm. the session. Whether and just that just that trust alone, that building of trust with the horse, let's say, in that technique would build self-confidence or just um, a, calmer, a calmer self? Yes, it's the trying new things. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, yeah, that's also. Because hope, you know, is a primary, primary goal of therapy. The idea that something can actually feel different or be different, especially if we are quite in a in a rut here in our lives and we're seeking therapy. So by promoting those opportunities for regulation, for integration, for practicing different things for the doing, but also those sort of human needs, as I mentioned, of like feeling like you have a purpose, feeling like you're useful, like when you're caregiving or caretaking with somebody else, just a feeling of that warm fur under your hand mm-hmm. can about a, a completely different so mental interesting. Thing. Yeah. Well, I was also going to say too, animals coming in and dealing or interacting with animals, you don't feel judged. Yeah. Yeah. They're not looking at you and thinking, oh, this person suffers from bipolar disorder, or depression, or anxiety. So it's that in itself, I feel like, is a calming effect. Yes. Because if we think about what's helpful for therapy, it's helpful to be feel somewhat comfortable. We might mm-hmm. not be able to feel trusting of others, but to feel sort of comfortable in the therapeutic environment that I Mm -hmm. talked about earlier. And what you're saying around perceiving that this animal, this horse here, they're not judging me for, you know, the diagnosis I have or the car I drove over in or the clothes I wear or the job I had and now I don't have. They're more interested in what am I doing right now? And is that relational and comfortable or is that not? Because it's both the feeling of not feeling judged, but also the possibility to actually have a relationship because somebody is there. It's mm-hmm. not, sure. not a plush toy, you know, that you can just. Right. It's eyes, eyes um, looking at you, the eye connection, yes. you know, eye contact somebody is unconditional is love. You know, it's yeah. just that Joe, I know. You know, pets, dogs, we've talked about that before. It's, yeah, it just does such a world of good. And this is just such an interesting formal training of that. I just love this. It's, and I think the affection part of it too, because animals are affectionate just as humans are. Yes, they can be, of course, if they've had experiences that lead them to feel safe 
with others, especially if you're not a human and then you have humans around. Humans tell us, tell animals what to do all the time. If they've had good experiences, then they also make a good, can make a good therapy animal and can be that calming presence to add again to the experience in therapy that is sort of intangible, that we don't, can't always put words on. But excitingly, Again, horses can be part of, you know, thought experiments and experiential techniques that people do, let's say, in cognitive behavioral therapy, when we mm -hmm. assess, you know, what automatic negative thoughts come up for me, no matter what I do, I hear the same, you know, recording over and over that might be impacting my life negatively. We can right. practice these things you know, and if you if you perceive that the horse is now judging you harshly for not being able to to do this simple task, maybe it's not so much the horse, but your own automatic. Well, right. Take. You know, it's a little mm -hmm. bit of almost a reality checking that also can be done. So it's not just the the calm and um, sort of regulated potential that animals can bring into the therapy session, which is what most people really appreciate. It's that horses can be actively part of interventions um, that help you get ahead toward your goals, that help you find deeper insight or build skills, uh, things that are common, you know, to the therapy process. It totally makes sense to me when you're when you're saying those things. What I'm thinking about is that it's possible that people who have a, a negative experiences and associate certain feelings with those could then replace it by the new experience with positive feelings. Am I wrong on that? Yeah, that sounds like what we call a corrective emotional experience. <laughs> that a lot of therapists, I didn't know the technical term, but yes, yeah, clinical. You know, in, in psychotherapy, what matters is the relationship between the therapist and the client and the actions within that relationship, even more so than the specific therapy approach they take. If it's more cognitive behavioral or if it's more dynamic or if it's more humanistic existential, these are sort of preferences that therapists have within how they approach kind of the, the clinical case. But what actually matters is the that relational exchange and mm -hmm can be part of that and even heighten it or make it more effective, easier to trust or have some sort of comfort with a person when you see how they interact with somebody else and that mm -hmm. they're not, you know, bossing the horse around or, or using sort of derogatory terms or sort of putting the, oh, the, it's fine. It's, it's just a horse. That's not what I want to hear when I'm yeah, in a right. mm -hmm. session with, with, with somebody. So there's so much potential for. Okay. We lost you we temporarily. Lost you for a minute it froze. Oh, oh, sorry. Did you um, hear me say anything? <laughs> um, I have a question. So even in, in, you know, close to. Uh, wrapping this up for now, is it if if people are for those listening in our behind our door family of, of a growing family of listeners, if uh, we have people listening from all over the country and some that are outside of the country, is this an access? Is this easy to find? Is this a growing um, 
method of therapy that is accessible or is it in certain areas you're in Colorado we're in the Chicago area in Illinois definitely no places here just to find you it's kind of fun that I had to have this path of oh many connections to finally get to you which I'm so grateful for Nina my god this is such a wealth of knowledge um but is it is it accessible is this is this everywhere You know, we're seeing more and more therapists who understand the importance and impact of human-animal interactions in their therapy practice. So whether that's incorporating a live animal, mostly a Mm -hmm. dog, also horses or cats or guinea pigs or rats or other animals, but but just generally also understanding the impact of of those animal relationships we have. We have, we see an increase in people seeking training. You know, where I work at University of Denver, we train uh, all kinds of professionals, both master's and doctoral level students, but also others who work in education or other areas. So we definitely see a steady increase in- It's wonderful. seeking training. And I would say based on, on, I run a post-master's program that's specific to licensed mental health professionals who want to train to incorporate this technique and then do that ethically and effectively with their clients. And we have folks from every state in the oh, U.S. terrific. Wow. Our training and also from different continents beyond ours. And I think what, what the main thing that's happening right now, and I feel like this became part of the main message of our chat today, was currently it's on the person seeking the service, whether you're a parent or caregiver, or you're the person who's seeking uh, mental health treatment for yourself, that it's on you to see, is this person who talks about horses and therapy and therapeutic and these words, mm-hmm. are there master's or doctoral level licensed mm-hmm. provider have they do they can they answer the question you know how does it look when you incorporate horses what kind of training do you have in this um and that they actually are doing psychotherapy and that they're not you know doing some other kind of of service or something like that it's currently on the consumer or the the person yeah. seeking the service to to really um feel that out because it is a therapy technique it's mm-hmm. not a treatment. It's not a standalone sort of thing. So my best advice is to that people who have, you know, training in this, they tend to put the word horse or equine. Yeah, very in good advice. Professional descriptions. And that's how you would then, you know, find somebody who also can work outdoors, which is a lovely thing, lovely setting to receive therapy. in. are there any organizations dedicated to this that you're aware of? Yes, there's a number of different organizations in the U.S. The folks who are OTPT and speech pathologists, we talked briefly about our colleagues there in in healthcare earlier. They have a great uh, sort of unifying organization called the American Hippotherapy Association uh, that really helps govern. It's just for therapists and it helps govern their professional practice in horse movement uh, in that case. On the mental health side, we don't have a sort of unifying professional organization that would be only for these therapists and really help set, set standards What we do have is, fortunately, some of the mental health associations like American Counseling Association that oversees clinical mental health counselors, 
they put out competencies for therapists when they incorporate animals. So we've seen sort of a, a, a move to being professionalized here <laughs> and, and not just, you know, a training organization, you know, somebody's own business and they sell trainings and then they say, yeah, well, you can be a member of our business, you know, and, and just our, our stuff. Uh, we have several organizations like that. And some people are, you know, they want a particular kind of interacting with horses in therapy, but you don't have to have a particular brand name on your training. Mm -hmm. you that you, you do need professional education, training and supervision before you add something to your scope as a licensed provider. And okay. Over, yeah. You know, Great it's advice. It's, it's, I mean, this is really, this is really, um, setting the whole stage of what people need to know. Yeah. So thank you so much. I can't thank you. And I've learned so oh, much me today. Too. I mean, fascinated. I, we were looking forward to having you. I feel like this has been a total eye opener. Mm -hmm. I, I had no idea of most of most of this entire time has been a learning experience. Yes. Did not know. So uh, we thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Nina, so much. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We welcome your input. To contact us or any of our guests, please email us at behindourdoor@mail.com. That's behindourdoor@mail.com. And please don't forget to like and share our podcast. Um, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. We really want your feedback. It's important to us. We are so thankful that you are here and listening to us. If you or someone you know is in crisis struggling with mental illness, you can call the National Suicide Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or the NAMI Helpline at 1-800-950-6264. Until next time, please join us for another conversation behind our door. Thanks for listening.